The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. This is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perra columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. We have an interesting one today. There's a company on the ASX we all know, Manuka Resources, trades under the code MKR, last sale of 14 cents for a market cap of 65 million. And that's pretty much based on its Mount Boppy gold mine project and its Wanna Winter silver project uh, near Cobar in New South Wales. But just recently, the company's announced a fascinating diversification move, as it were, subject to our shareholder approval, to do a deal with Trans Tasman Resources, which is the company behind the iron sands, vanadium, titanium project in South Taranaki Bight, off the west coast of New Zealand. Now, it's not often we get an integrated iron ore project in waters off a country anywhere, so... This will be a fascinating one. And to bring us up to speed on who Trans-Tasman Resources is and what the nature of the deal with Manuka is, we have Alan Eggers, the Executive Chairman of Trans-Tasman Resources, with us today. G'day, Alan. Welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon, Barry. Thank you for inviting me. Alan, given the company's not listed, but uh, Manuka is in the process of acquiring it, subject to shareholder approval, I was wondering if you can give us a feel for who Trans-Tasman Resources is and a bit of a background on yourself. Thanks, Barry. Um, Trans-Hasman Resources was formed in uh, 2007-2008. It commenced exploration for iron sands off the west coast of the North Island. It's been funded by private equity and has around 47, 48 shareholders. And uh, we've spent over 85 million Kiwi uh, in the in the last, um, oh, what is that, uh, nearly 15 years. Uh on exploring, uh, discovering, and defining uh, iron sand resources off the west coast of the North Island. Right. Now, it is part of the world well known for its uh, oil and gas and uh, iron sands onshore, but um, are you the first uh, people to be looking at the uh, iron sands potential offshore? No. We, when we commenced in 2008, uh, we were one of the earlier ones, but at the same time, we were joined by uh, a number of companies exploring for uh, the uh, titanomagnetite iron sands offshore in New Zealand. Um, the key government uh, encouraged this exercise and we were joined by uh, Rio Tinto, FMG, and, and between us and Sino Steel from China, we essentially pegged the whole of the west coast of the North Island out to about uh, uh, 50 kilometres. Right. So are those companies, sorry, are those companies in JV with you guys or are you 100% on your own ground? No, we, we, we had about a third of the area. We're one of the earliest peggers. We had about a third of the area and uh, we have stood alone. We're not in joint venture, 100% ownership of the project. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, since, since about 2015, um, Rio Tinto and FMG have largely withdrawn from the area. Mm-hmm. And Sino Steel uh, have retained some onshore joint venture interests. 
but I don't think they have any offshore tenements. Okay. So um, you've obviously uh, you mentioned there that you'd uh, spent uh, 85 million Kiwi out there. Um, have you got to the point where you have a resource? Yes. We, we undertook um, extensive exploration commencing with airborne geophysical surveys to identify the most uh, prospective areas. We then developed a proprietary drilling technology uh, that is JORC compliant uh, and commenced drilling. And we're the only company that has that drilling technology. Uh, And we have drilled thousands of holes offshore, but in particular, in one particular area, uh, we have now drilled 800 holes and produced a... uh, uh, inferred and indicated chalk resource of 3.8 billion tonnes of titanium magnetite iron sands. Right. Um, most of our listeners are well aware of iron ore in uh, the Pilbara, of course, and uh, some magnetite operations around the place. But tell us a bit more about iron sands. Well, iron sands have a number of advantages. Uh, nature's uh, pre-prepped them, if you like, for us. Uh, And when sea levels were about 50 metres lower in the last glaciation, it was actually the former shorelines where these um, uh, iron sands deposits uh, accumulated and being eroded from uh, volcanic uh, or volcanoes onshore Mm -hmm. uh, and primarily uh, Mount Taranaki. These uh, coastal dune deposits were then reworked by hydraulically reworked as sea level rose about seven or 8,000 years ago uh, and have been submerged. Uh, they have the advantage over land-based uh, resources in that they don't need uh, a lot of preparation or high-energy crushing. They're, they're basically ready to, uh, if you like, dredge or recover, separate out the high-grade magnetite and ship. Mm, okay. So... Physical characteristics and actual formation, it's similar to what people here might understand in the mineral sands, beach sands industry? Yes, very similar in that sense. That's right. Um, Our deposits are located in 20 to 50 metres depth water on the seafloor. And whilst the sands are potentially quite deep, we have drilled them um, to tens of metres deep. Uh, The project's based on recovering on an average of five metres of near surface iron sands. There are problems if we are using the current technology uh, to recover deeper. As we start to lose grade control with um, incoming sands from the natural angle of repose, if you like, in any trench. Okay. Now, I know uh, De Beers has been mining diamonds off the uh, seabed floor off uh, Namibia for decades and decades. Um, I was just wondering... uh, Tell us a bit about, I presume you're going to have some sort of integrated mining vessel that would uh, do the mining and the prep work and offload onto a barge. Is that how it works? That's right. The uh, technology we're using and utilising is all proven technology and we're we're fortunate to in fact have uh, operating agreements with De Beers Marine from South Africa and Royal IHC from Rotterdam. Uh, Royal IHC have been the world's largest dredging uh, development company and operators of dredges around the world and they've been operating since 1642 so I think 350 years of experience is uh, good to have on board and then combine that with they have been building the latest crawler technology for De Beers Marine in South Africa and De Beers Marine owned that technology and we have entered into an agreement with them where they will build 
and commission and operate our crawler technology, uh, which will, in fact, recover the uh, iron sands from the seafloor. So that's what, some sort of uh, robot on the seafloor that goes along and sucks it up? or That's does... correct. It's, it's, in fact, it's a very large pump that mm-hmm. uh, 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 extracts around about 8,000 tonnes an hour of material. Mm-hmm. And it's on a, a based on a, a 480-ton crawler system uh, that it very slowly moves along the seafloor with an arm out in front of it, and it's an effectively a, a vacuum cleaner. And it, it sweeps along at about 0.4 kilometres per hour and sucks the material up onto the IMV, the Integrated Mining Vessel. No, it's a, a sort of a, a very large, creepy crawly that you might see in a swimming pool. Not a, a good analogy. Right. Well, I was just wondering, um, the Taranaki uh, Basin offshore there does get a few storms coming through. Uh, what would happen in those situations? Do you up anchor and uh, go to safe harbour, or is it built for uh, to handle all conditions? It does indeed. Uh, we've we've got about eighty years of Met Ocean data for the Taranaki Bight, so we understand the climate there very well. Mm. And it's it's quite an exposed west coast situation, but um, in many ways identical to where De Beers Marine are operating on the west coast of That's South true. Africa mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Botswana. And ocean and and climate information is uh, understood well enough that we will cease operating and it swells over four meters. Mm-hmm. We've only uh, got the operation utilized. At this stage in our model for 28, uh, sorry, 72% of the time, we're allowing 28% of t- downtime for servicing and storm events. And if it's a very large storm, we're also permitted to, in fact, remove our vessels, and there'll be two or three of them out there. Uh, one's a mining vessel, one's a transfer vessel and a support vessel. And we can, in fact, uh, seek refuge in Queen Charlotte Sound to ride out the um, storm, which is about 60 or 70 kilometres away. Right. And so plenty of operating experience out in those waters with the oil and gas industry anyway, I guess. Uh, yes, it's um, where, where we are is, in fact, could be equivalent to an offshore industrial estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the, it's interesting that, one, the ocean um, aren't pristine, as a lot of people may think, but this area in particular has been subject to commercial activity of a number of sorts and still is every day. The oil and gas industry, of course, is out there with the um, Maui, Coupe and Tui oil fields, fully mm-hmm. operational um, and been drilling and and producing now for over 50 years. Uh, there's been over 100, 120 years of trawling, uh, uh, commercial fishing and, and seabed trawling going on out there, all, all well recorded, and particularly of, of more recent years, the last 20 or 30 years, of course, that's all GPS tracked and uh as well, there's uh, a, it's a, really a commercial shipping uh, corridor with about 6,800 commercial shipping movements a year. So it's quite a busy little part of the world. As well, they're planning to now install wind farms, offshore wind farms out there. Uh, so as I say, it's effectively an industrial estate. Yeah, okay. Now, the, um, I assure, I'm sure everyone out there producing oil and gas operates under a, a code of some sort. Is there a mining code applied uh, in place yet? Uh, New Zealand has very strict environmental yeah, uh, well, no, compliance no, no, no. regulations mm-hmm. and laws, and 
we've we've been through that regime uh, with the EPA here in New Zealand and and have been granted our environmental consents, a marine consent and a discharge consent to undertake the operation within the EZ, which is New Zealand's exclusive economic zone from Mm -hmm. 12 nautical miles out. That's where our initial project is. Uh, We've undertaken around about $20 million has been spent on primary uh, marine research, which has been very comprehensive and extensive. Um, It's all been uh, undertaken by independent experts and peer-reviewed by the EPA's independent experts and then gone through a hearing process, which it then received the blowtorch job from our opponents, of which there are many, uh, largely led by uh, Greenpeace et al. And we have managed to pass through that. And we have very strict um, monitoring conditions and operating conditions, uh, which we are happy with. We have about a hundred odd operating conditions in our consents, and uh, we're quite relaxed with those. Um, and we can we can undertake the project with minimal impact, if any, permanent impact at all, to the ecosystems and benthic communities uh, in that marine environment. Mm, okay. Uh, I, you mentioned earlier, uh, world, world-class scale resource there, 3.8 billion tonnes of... 3.8 billion tonnes. Yeah. Uh, do you have a production target in mind? And uh... Yes, we've uh, undertaken a, a pre-feasibility and study and commenced a bankable feasibility study, which we're well into. Okay. It's planned initially that we will uh, recover uh, 50 million tonnes of sediment per annum It'll go through a magnetic separator. There are no chemicals or, or any additives whatsoever to the process, purely a physical process. Mm-hmm. We recover through a magnetic separator about 10% of the high-grade titanomagnetites, and we return the remaining 90% of the material, about 45 million tonnes per annum, back to the seafloor in a controlled manner. And the controlled manner is designed to minimise any plume effects and limit the extent of the plume that returning the sediment to the seafloor causes. Well, it's obviously a wet process. <laughs> Very wet. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Not the uh, dust problems they get in the Pilbara around Port Hedland, that's for sure. Um, no. Okay, so uh, the BFS, do you have a, a time scale on that? Uh, we're just completing uh, um, our consent, getting our sense finally approved. They were challenged in the courts, and we've been through an extended court process here through the entire court process in New Zealand of the High Court, the Court of Appeal and then the Supreme Court. Got an excellent judgment out of the Supreme Court, which set down the law. And our consents have been just sent back to the EPA for them to uh, reapprove them. Mm-hmm. When that's uh, through, which is expected in the next few months, we will then finalise our bankable feasibility study, which will take about 12 months. Right. And that bankable feasibility study is, as I say, designed to produce 5 million tonnes, grading 57%, 55 to 57% iron, but importantly also contains, will produce uh, vanadium and titanium. Uh, vanadium is about 11 pounds per tonne vanadium in the concentrate right. each tonne, and about 8.5% titanium. So as opposed to the Pilbara hematite deposits, there are no other credits in those hematite ores, our magnetites do have um, 
very valuable vanadium and titanium credits. Right. So has the scoping work to date the, uh, given you an indication of where you might fit on the cost curve? Our production is in the lower quartile of the um, our producer cost curves, uh, around about US 20 to $23 a tonne. Uh, the biggest variable in there is uh, fuel oil prices, which you'll appreciate, Barry, have gone up yeah. in recent mm-hmm. times. Uh, and that, that accounts for about two-thirds of our, our cost. So it's sensitive to oil prices, uh, but even with the current high costs, it's around about 20 to $23 a tonne, US. Okay, even with those uh, fuel costs, I guess there's you don't have drilling costs, you don't have trucking rail or port costs, um, no waste dumps to manage. So No, it's um, a very low impact, and the thing is that we don't, one, have to destroy um, any forest or uh, uh, um, uh, surface of the earth where uh, um, no ports, railroads, waste dumps, um, acid mine drainage, and there are no legacy issues, there's um, uh, no ports required. Uh, This is all done offshore and bulk commodity transfer offshore and direct shipping. Uh, Our carbon footprint's very low. We will produce our concentrate for less than half CO2 emissions per tonne of concentrate than any other operation in the world. Well, that's interesting given the uh, huge push in the Pilbara and elsewhere to reduce carbon emissions. So this project would be lowest quartile carbon emissions as well, would it? One of the lowest in the world. It's much lower than anybody's that we, we have information on and we have quite a bit of information. Mm. Around about 60 kilograms of carbon dioxide per tonne of concentrate would be generated by our operation. And mm. um, uh, equivalent land-based iron sand operations and hard rock mining operations in the Pilbara generate between 120 and 250 kilograms of CO2 per Mm -hmm. tonne of ore. Yeah, okay. Uh, You mentioned costs there of US, I think you said 20 to $23 a tonne. That grade material just on the iron ore would probably sell for what at the moment, 90 to $100 a tonne, something like that? Oh, uh, yeah, we, that, there's a discount. And that, that would sell for around about 80 to $85 a tonne, mm-hmm. US. And that's before uh, vanadium, titanium credits. Correct. And potentially, with we already know we can get 65, around about 65 to 70% recoveries, and we've got a bit more metallurgical work to complete on that. Uh, and that's being undertaken as part of the BFS. But we have potentially another $60 a tonne uh, value for the vanadium in the concentrate at 60% recovery and $150 a tonne of concentrate uh, for the titanium credit. So, um, in fact, uh, the 23, $20 to $23 cost is fairly modest when we think that uh, we'll get around about $80 for the iron ore plus potentially another $200 for vanadium and titanium credits. Mm. But I have to emphasise, we've got to complete the metallurgical flow sheet for that and mm. we've, we've advanced on that process. Mm, okay. All right then. So uh, where is the, uh, the deal at in terms of uh, bringing it to, to, to the ASSX market, as it were, through Manuka? Uh, we've just uh, lodged, oh, sorry, we've completed the heads of agreement and advised the ASX and in simple terms, uh, Manuka now require 50% plus shareholder approval for the transaction and I've sent that notice to the shareholders Mm -hmm. and I think that meeting's to be held on the 21st of September 
mm-hmm. and uh, TDR re- is required to deliver 100% um, acceptances. And even though we've only got 48 shareholders, that can be difficult if we've got a recalcitrant shareholder somewhere that says, this isn't for me, mm-hmm. or in fact, they may have passed on, or in fact, um, we know that one's in jail. Um, <laughs> it's a bit unfortunate, but it could be difficult to get 100%. But our constitution, TTR constitution, uh, has a, a clause in there, a drag and tag clause, which requires for a transaction of this nature, um, if over 60% of the shareholders accept the transaction, uh, uh, the, the remaining shareholders are brought along. So we can deliver 100%. And I control nearly 40% of the company and with uh, uh, two or three other of the major shareholders in there, uh, we have already agreed to this transaction, so it will happen. Okay. And the actual uh, consideration is uh, all script? Yes, it's a script-for-script script offer. Uh, we have um, a faith uh, in our own project where we're quite relaxed about receiving script. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to get on with the project. The, uh, the shareholders, as you might imagine, we're committed to this project. We've spent a lot of time um, uh, and energy on getting it to where it is. It's a major coup and a major project for um, a, a smaller private equity group uh, such as us. And we now need to get it listed. The main reason is to get depth of uh, uh, equity and and uh, um, uh, turnover in terms of finance base so that we can attract major funding uh, groups from not only within Australia, but certainly Hong Kong, London, and probably New York to fund the project. All right, Alan, you've uh, outlined a fascinating project there for us, uh, certainly one very new to the Australian market and one that I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest in as things move forward. And uh, at the same time, of course, Manuka will be pushing along with the Mount Boppy and Wanawita projects in New South Wales. So, Alan, thanks for your time today. Good luck with it all. We'll be watching with interest. Thank you, Barry.